So again, looking at verse 13, let's remember there are no verses and chapters and headings in the original text, and so it makes good sense to look at verse 13 before our passage. Then Samuel, this is after anointing David, took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well, and bring him to me. One of these, the young men, answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, or by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this story, we see an intersection, you might say an interplay between three ideas or or principles. We see here the presence of God and human emotion and God's gift of music. So we can see an interplay among each of those three things in the passage. The presence of God, how that impacts our emotions, and how God uses this gift of music to bless us. The reason that so many people in churches are passionate about music is that we all know that God can use music to bless us in powerful ways. It's often the case that when people talk about music in church, their emotions will be quickly stirred up, and we might wonder, well, why is it? Why is the the musical part of a worship service um, so powerful in directing our thoughts and even our emotions? We think about music, and we know that it has so much potential, and that's why I think why people care so much about music during church. Do you have a song that you associate with a particularly meaningful moment in your life, perhaps a hymn or a praise song, that you associate with uh, the funeral of a loved one, or a time when the Lord was powerfully working in your life, or perhaps even you associate a, a hymn or a praise song with one of those low moments of your life when you were in the valley of the shadow of death and the Lord used music, used a song to lift up your soul into his presence. 
It's often the case that when I plan a funeral with the family of a deceased member of our church, that they know exactly which songs their dad or mom or grandparent love to sing. Not just in church, but these songs are on people's minds as they work in the garden or as they drive in their car or as they go about their daily routines. What is commonly the case is that there are too many songs to pick for people, and so they give me a list of seven or eight, and they say, Pastor Mark, just pick three or four, because we can't narrow it down any further than that. These songs impact our souls. God uses this music to teach us who he is and to impart truth through lyrics and and even also to fasten that truth through beautiful music to our minds. While there's good reason to pay attention to the lyrics of a song, this passage tells us that music matters too. And I could, we could prove that just by thinking about it just for a few moments. Lyrics of a hymn or a praise song are essential to pay attention to, but, but the beauty of the music matters as well. We can prove it just by thinking about it. I'll show the words of the final verse of It Is Well. Or when peace like a river is another word for this hymn. Now, notice what this sounds like when you just hear me speaking the words versus what it would be if we all stopped and sang these great words together. O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. So when you hear those words spoken you probably want to sing them. You probably have emotions stirred up, good emotions, about a time when you sang those words, again, perhaps at a funeral in this sanctuary, or at the birth of a child, or when something was happening in your life and maybe this or some other spiritual song came to your mind and the Lord lifted your emotions, not just through the words, but through the music as well. When God blesses you through music, don't feel guilty about having strong emotions as a result of what that music and that those words are doing in your heart and in your mind. As Reformed people, certainly we can embrace the emotions that God is blessing us with at times. Because this could be God's way of communicating that He's with you, that He is continuing to impart His truth to you, and He does that through the words of a song like It Is Well. So this morning we have a lot to learn from this passage about emotions and the presence of God and how the Lord uses music in particular, to draw a person towards himself. To begin with, though, before we get into the effect of David's music on Saul, it is likely that as I was reading the passage, something strange, or what seems strange to us, was jumping out at you, and you have a question that we need to answer. What do we make of this harmful spirit from the Lord? What do we make of this? As I was reading, were you a little bit perplexed to read that the Lord sent a harmful spirit upon Saul? This is not exactly the activity of God that we hear on positive, encouraging Caleb, is it? But that the Lord would send a harmful spirit upon Saul. What do we make of this and how do we explain it? Well, first, 
The first principle we start with when reading a passage like this is that that at times it is difficult to translate from the Hebrew original text and into our English language. And so this word that describes the spirit that the Lord sends upon Saul, we might think is an evil spirit. That's not what this is. It's not an evil spirit that the Lord sends against Saul. The spirit that God sends does not intend to do evil against Saul. The spirit, though, does cause Saul to be vexed, unsettled, and anxious. The purpose of God sending the spirit upon Saul is to to, to lower him, to humble him in his emotions so that he would seek a solution. Much like the thorn in the flesh that God would not remove from the Apostle Paul, God sends this spirit to provoke Saul, to provoke him to seek help. The spirit humbles him. If you struggle with that part of the passage, I hope that it helps you today to remember that God is absolutely sovereign over every detail in creation, including even over our emotions. Brothers and sisters, God made everything. And it is our Reformed confession to believe that God holds everything in His hands and nothing can happen outside of His will. God made all things, and that includes things that are visible and invisible. And that means that God commands countless hosts of angels. Again, in the Reformed Church, we don't talk a lot about angels and spiritual warfare, but we have here a glimpse behind what is seen and into what is unseen, even into the decision-making of God for a moment. And we can see here that God commands angels to do his will for his name's sake. Even the devil can't do anything without the permission of God. This passage about a harmful spirit from the Lord confirms our reformed belief that God is in control of his creation and he has good reasons for everything he does. And in this case, it is his will to lower Saul and to exalt David. So, God commands spiritual beings, like the one that we described in this passage, to do his work. And we don't believe that simply based on this passage alone. It would be dangerous territory if we start to develop a a big theology, for example, a theology of angels and spirits and demons and so forth, from one verse of the Bible. And so you might wonder, where else might God act in this kind of way for his name's sake? We find it in Numbers, in the story of Balaam. The book of Numbers, a false prophet named Balaam is on his way to curse Israel. And so here's what God does to Balaam as he's on his way to do what is wrong. God's anger was kindled because Balaam went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. And so God is against Balaam, and so the angel stands there in the road before him to stop him, actually to put the fear of God into Balaam. And so when Balaam sees this angel, he's filled with the fear of the Lord. He changes his plans. Instead of going to speak a curse against Israel, he goes to speak blessing over them. And so God sends an adversary against Balaam in a a very similar way to how God sends this harmful spirit against Saul. 
several generations after David. There's another story where false prophets are opposed by the Spirit of God, that God sends a spirit upon some false prophets in 1 Kings 22 to confuse them. Again, it would be a story that would seem a little bit strange to our, uh, our ears, our evangelical ears, but look what God does in 1 Kings 22 against these false prophets. Now, therefore, behold, the king or the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. Why? To humble them, to confuse them, and the Lord is declaring disaster for you. This is for King Ahab through um, or because the, these prophets are confused and they can't give King Ahab the truth. So just as in the case of Balaam, God's actions reveal here the work of false prophets. And that ministry is counteracted by the work of a good minister, a good prophet named Micaiah. So what do we believe about all these things? What is God doing in all this? Well, first we believe that God is in control and that God will orchestrate the events of this world, orchestrate the events of our individual lives and of whole nations for his namesake. In all three examples, the, the harmful spirit against Saul, the adversary for Balaam, and the lying spirit in the mouths of the false prophets, there's a clear distinction in each case between what is good and what is evil. There's a clear distinction in each case between what is true and what is false. There's a clear distinction in each case between love for God and enjoyment of the presence of God and opposition to God or even hatred of God. So that's one of the themes in our passage today. The harmful spirit produces emotional turmoil and and, um, humiliation for Saul. But at the same time, The ministry of David, who is full of the Spirit, produces peace of mind and a blessing for Saul. And so we could just think of it uh, almost in geometric terms, where in this passage we see that Saul is going down, he's on a downward slope, and David is ascending because he's full of the Spirit of God. So the revelation that God could send a harmful spirit against Saul, I don't think should make us afraid but it should help us see that when we are troubled and disturbed emotionally, the response ought to be to seek God's help, to seek help outside of ourselves. Another lesson that we can gain from this passage is that your sin, just like Saul's sin, will impact your emotions, your mood, and your attitudes. The harmful spirit provokes the distress that was the natural result of Saul's sin against God. I want to repeat that. I think that's what's clearly happening here. The harmful spirit is sent to provoke the distress that is the natural result of Saul's opposition to God, of his rebelliousness, of his pride, and of his sin. So last week, we read the beginning of 1 Samuel 16, and I want to refresh your memory about what's happening at the beginning of this story. If you were to to just read through the opening verses of this chapter, you would see that there is an emotional cloud over all of Israel because Saul has been governing Israel poorly. He's been sinning against God. In the opening verses, Samuel is living in fear of Saul. He has to 
kind of escaped from Saul's presence so that he could go and anoint David. He's afraid of what King Saul might do against him, and so there's kind of a paranoia throughout Israel. And then Samuel shows up in Bethlehem, and the text says, the elders of the city come out trembling to ask if Samuel comes in peace. And so what does this show us? It it displays that Saul's sin has had a far-reaching emotional effect on the people of Israel. So we shouldn't be surprised to see that this emotional impact is also taking its toll on Saul himself. Saul's sin is impacting the whole country. And people are worried. They're on edge. They're living in fear of what Saul might do next. And that is the result of of all sin, of your sin in your life as well. Your sin will have an impact on your emotional well-being. When you live a covetous lifestyle or a greedy lifestyle, you will display the emotions and the attitudes of bitterness towards people who have the things that you want for yourself. You could see in that example the, the sin in our minds of covetousness, of desiring what's not ours, will be displayed in anger, in bitterness, in an envious attitude towards other people. We see this in all sins. The sin of adultery is not just a spiritual disaster, but if you are committing adultery, you will live in emotional turmoil as a result of your infidelity. This passage from 1 Samuel 16 teaches us very clearly that sin affects the whole person. It doesn't just war against your soul. Sin affects your body, your mind, and your emotions. In fact, we could even go so far this morning as to say that it is a blessing when God attaches negative feelings to our sin. It is a blessing for us that, that God would reveal that we've sinned by stirring up within us a guilty conscience, emotional turmoil. So, before we get to the solution, we need to say something important about this matter of emotions and especially depression. We should recognize that depression is a real struggle that is sometimes attached to the sin that people are committing against God and at other times is not attached to someone of the particular sin that someone's committing against God. Think again of Paul's thorn in the flesh. That it, It's clear in that passage it isn't because Saul is sinning against God that the Lord allows for him this thorn in the flesh to remain in, Saul's, in, Paul, in the Apostle Paul's side. It was the outcome of Saul's sin that he was emotionally disturbed. But it is not the case in, in all cases that if you are suffering through depression, that it's because of some one thing that you've done against God. Brothers and sisters, I hope that as a result of this passage, that we would see that regardless of the cause of depression, the result, the response to depression should always be the same. To seek the Lord and to surround yourself with people who are full of the presence of the Lord who will help you in spiritual and practical ways.
Again, I want to repeat that. I, I, I don't want you to mishear what this passage is about or what I'm teaching this morning. Regardless of the cause of your depression, regardless of the cause, the response to depression should always be the same. Seek the Lord. Look to Him for peace. Seek Christ. Trust Jesus. Read your Bible. Worship God. Surround yourself with people who are full of the presence of God who will help you in practical and spiritual ways. So, for Saul, that is David. David is called upon to bring his lyre from the fields where he's taking care of sheep, and David comes to Saul full of God's Spirit, playing skillfully to bless Saul. Verse 23, And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. So the Lord's presence in David overcomes the hurtful spirit. David plays not just skillfully in the musical sense, but, but his heart is in his music. And certainly we can be almost certain that he would have been singing psalms, songs that he was writing in praise to the Lord as he was taking care of his sheep out in the fields. The Spirit can use music to bless you. Music and other art forms as well, visual art forms like painting and photography, literature, movies, architecture, are all art forms that can point us to the glory of God and the goodness of God. They're art forms that, can, that God can use through the Spirit to, to lift us up and point us towards um, the goodness of God and the glory of God. In our sin, we build up all kinds of walls against God, and it's been so often the case in my own life where God will use Um, some sort of art form like music or even things like architecture or literature to float past the defenses that I've built up and penetrate into my mind and my heart, teaching me some truth about God's grace, about God's holiness, and about uh, what God is doing in the world. Don't we build up these defenses so often and, and, and music in particular, can get around those defenses. God can use music in that way. And I've had this at times where I'm driving in my car listening to worship music and it hits me. It wallops me, almost wakes me up where I'll hear of God's care, of God's love, of the faithfulness of God. Every church, including Ammon Valley, spends a lot of time teaching our children. That's for good reason. We're commanded in Deuteronomy 6 to diligently teach our children uh, the law of God, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. After worship this morning, I'll open up the Heidelberg Catechism with our high school students teaching about prayer and what it means to live a life full of prayer to the Lord. But it isn't just in that outright teaching, that explicit teaching moment where we're opening the Bible or a catechism where our kids are learning from us. We're always learning. We're always forming ideas about God. Always forming ideas about what is good and how we should live. And that formation continues in the music that we listen to, that we sing in church, or that we have playing in our cars or in our homes um, during the week. 
God forms our souls, not just through his word, which he does amazingly, but, but as we hear his word communicated in music, it's so been, often been the case for me that his word is, is firmly fixed to my mind, using music to memorize scripture, using music during the course of the week to worship God. Each of these are God's gifts for us to turn our attention towards him. I've noticed that people's theology is greatly shaped by the songs that they sing in church and listen to during the course of the week. And for better or for worse, the music that you are listening to is catechizing you. That word catechizing means it's like a catechism for you. It's shaping your thoughts. And like I said, for better or for worse, the music you're listening to is catechizing your soul. You're learning as you listen to music. And it isn't just our emotions that are affected by music, but the Lord can use music to shape, to shape us um, even further as well. When someone has heard, it is well with my soul, a hundred times, and when they believe the message of that great hymn, they are being prepared to trust in God when sorrows like sea billows roll over them. When you're singing truths of Scripture, singing songs that are good and helpful, that are pure and noble and praiseworthy and true, as we're commanded to think upon such things in the Scriptures. When you're singing these kinds of songs and when they're accompanied by stirring music, it's not just affecting your emotions in that moment, but it's teaching you, it's even setting the trajectory of your soul. I love that when I have been visiting with Jordan and Rachel over the past several years for various reasons, I enter their home and there is worship music playing um, on their TV. And I, I share this little example with their permission that, that when I went to visit after Sophia was born, there's worship music playing, a home full of beautiful music and the teaching of the Lord. So that's been the case during days of celebration, welcoming a new life. And as a family, they've also experienced intense suffering during the past few years as well. And that even included the loss of a child who would have been born between Evelyn and Sophia. But when I visited to pray with them, the music is still playing, shaping their minds, impacting their emotions, drawing them up into God's presence. It is so providential that when I planned this sermon series several months ago that this is the day that Jordan and Rachel picked for Sophia's baptism because isn't that exactly what is happening in this passage where Saul is, is downcast and David, full of the presence of the Lord, enters into the situation to sing, to play, and to lift Saul up. Now, why does music lift our emotions like that as we start to close here? Why does music particularly inspire our, our emotions, uh, sort of stir us up? What is it about that art form in particular that sends that spirit of despair and worry away? Music, think about what music is. Let's get theological just for a moment. Think about what music is. It is an expression of harmony and beauty. 
That music is an expression of harmony and beauty, of things working together. Our souls are longing for things to work together, aren't they? We are longing to see beauty, to live in harmony. And music gives us more even of a hunger for that beauty, that harmony, that is ultimately from the Lord. Here's how Herman Bovink describes art in his great book, The Wonderful Works of God. Art, so this would include music, in all its works and ways conjures up an ideal world before us in which the discords of our existence on earth are purged in a gratifying harmony. And so thinking of Saul who is downcast, thinking of a family who is grieving, art and music can, can show us an ideal world, a harmony, beauty, can bring us out of, of that darkness, of that, um, that, that lowly state. Thus, a beauty is disclosed which in this fallen world has been obscured by the wise, but is discovered to the simple eye of the artist. So this is certainly the reason that the Bible has so many songs in it. Isn't it the case that, that the songs of Scripture, the song of Moses, the song of Miriam, the song of Zechariah, all of the Psalms, point us forward to trust in the Lord, that God is a great God, and that God is at work, and that He is working all things together as a song. The notes of a song work so well with one another that God is bringing harmony into this world and ultimately will be exalted as His church, His people, sing before His throne forever in perfect unity. There is music in the kingdom of God Because when people live under God's rule, there is harmony, there is unity, and there is beauty. So, here's the question that our text poses for us today. Will you be satisfied with the temporary solution of music, like Saul was? He had the emotional relief of hearing some beautiful music, but it didn't bring a lasting change in his life. So will you be content just to hear beautiful music and then move on to the rest of your life being sort of unchanged? Or will the beauty of music prompt you to seek Christ, to seek the Lord, to seek a lasting and real solution to those low points in your life, to seek harmony, not just in an art form, but but that harmony in the art form pointing us to the better harmony that we experience with God through Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God was active in David's heart and mind. So music wasn't something that he consumed so much as it was something that came from within him. This is a man whose whose soul was, was beautiful, and so beautiful music comes forth. The music during a worship song can be a temporary blessing for you. It could be perhaps a passing view of the kingdom of God. But I hope that, unlike Saul, for you, it's a lasting blessing. A lasting blessing where you now have a greater hunger for the kingdom of God. And, and what was Saul's issue? Um, the great commentator Matthew Henry wrote that Saul was blessed temporarily, but he did not repent. 
He was not changed in his soul fundamentally, and so he still needed for David to keep coming back to him to play music whenever this harmful spirit of the Lord was upon him. That ought not be the case for the Christian. But if your soul is truly changed, if you have been born again by the Spirit, made into a new creation where the old is gone and the new has come, you will desire the kingdom of God and music will will point you further towards it. So, maybe Saul had a sentimental enjoyment of the songs that David sang and they just reminded him of a better time for a few moments, but the spiritual benefit didn't last because his soul was unchanged. Let it not be the case for you today. Brothers and sisters, the best blessing of music isn't the emotional high of beholding something beautiful, but the reminder that we get from music of what we really need. What do we need to live in harmony with God and one another? That unity, that harmony, that beautiful life that music reminds us of comes from living in God's presence through faith in Jesus Christ. And it is a lasting blessing, not like the fleeting blessing that we read about in 1 Samuel 16. Now, brothers and sisters, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, we worship you for drawing us to yourself through Jesus Christ. And God, we praise you for the good gift of music. How our emotions and minds are, are stirred up to give you thanks for that wonder, wonderful gift. God, we pray that you would bless us through the music that is played in this congregation, in this church. We thank you for blessing our church with skillful musicians like David who are full of, the present, of, of your presence and who love to worship you. God, we pray that the blessing that we receive when singing together would not be a fleeting blessing, but that it would remain with us and that we would move further and further into the Christian life, which is a life of harmony, unity, beauty, and righteousness. God, we praise you, and uh, we pray that we would use this good gift that you give us of music so that our, our souls would be shaped more into the likeness of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.